Welcome back to the Five and Dive podcast. I'm your host, CB, and on today's episode, you're going to hear from David, an Air Force Academy graduate, Rice MBA, and now working for Surfline WaveTrack, a subscription-based company that provides data metrics to surfers across the world. In this episode, David gives perspective on the realities of transitioning out of the military, insight into a full-time MBA program, and now life as a product manager at a surfing tech company. At the end of the episode, there's a portion called Lightning Round, where he answers random questions in one sentence or less about surfing and the Air Force Academy. If you enjoyed this podcast, go on Instagram and give the page a follow at the Five and Dive Pod, as well as go follow the podcast on Spotify. I hope you enjoy. David, first off, thank you for coming on. The first question I have for you is if you could describe yourself as a cadet. So what was I like as a cadet? Yeah. I, I think I was <laughs> a little bit awkward. Um, not necessarily stealthy, but also didn't necessarily want to like participate in most of the cadet life type of activities or culture, I guess you would say. Um, I, I mean, I quit, I, I quit after my sophomore year, um, cause I was on academic probation and got in trouble. Um, and I was just sitting in my room being like, why am I here? I, I was, I was kind of like, I hate this place. Um, and I'm going to leave and I, I, I need someone to pay for my college. So I'm going to come back. So I quit immediately started reapplying, um, worked at REI and got my EMT license just because I didn't know if I would be able to come back. Um, and then I spent from, I spent from December to January, just with two of my other friends from the academy who also quit, um, just ice climbing and skiing and getting ready to, to go to Nepal. And we spent, we spent four months in Nepal teaching English and trying to climb a mountain. And then we went back to the academy. I'm pretty sure I'm actually the only cadet who's had, male cadet who's had his hair shampooed in the, in the cadet barber shop or yeah. hair salon. <laughs> so I came back and my hair was so long and... And I was like starting to go bald and I was like, I'm not going to cut it all off because I know I'm starting to go bald. So you don't have to cut it for me, but it was like yeah. nasty. It was just disgusting. And so they, they, they took me to like the hair salon and like shampooed my hair and stuff. It was pretty awesome. Like how did the Academy let you back in? Were you just saying, Hey, I needed a year off and, and yeah, I mean, if there's any cadets that would listen to this, um, you know, basically there was a bunch of, there's a, there was a bunch of people that I was friends with and respected that were going on religious missions. Um, and I was like, why can't I do that? Like, I, like, I might not be religious, but I want to go, I want to go do this thing. And I think that the other thing about me as a cadet, like I never, I was never good enough from a military perspective and probably from an academic perspective to really get selected to do any exchanges or anything kind of cool. And I was like, I want to make that happen for myself. Right. Like, yeah if the opportunity is not presented from the academy, I'm going to make it happen. And so I was like, I want to do an exchange. I want to live with another culture. I want to see what something else is like rather than just get in trouble and right and sit in my room for four yeah. years. And, um, so, um, yeah, so I was, I was like, why can't I just leave and come back? And I found out that you can't like, like I found out that every single person that does a religious mission basically they have to quit and come back. Right. Then you have to like reapply <laughs> and you have yeah. to get a nomination and you have to write and, and, all, and all the things you have to do. And so I was like, cool, well, I'll take that, that risk. I'm, I'm not bad enough that after two years of investment, after my sophomore year that like, that they wouldn't want to like keep me in mm-hmm. and I'll just like make that gamble. So. Who, who did you reach out to in Nepal as far as you said you spent a year over there? Like, what did that look like? And did you just, you know, hit up some guy on Facebook and say, Hey, I want to come over. Or... I, well, Facebook was, Facebook was not a thing there. Um, okay. but luckily I did have many hours in my room because I got in trouble. I skipped the altitude chamber to go skiing. <laughs> I was supposed to go to the altitude chamber and I just left and went skiing. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously that was an immature of a choice, but, um, yeah, so I, I, uh, I had lots of hours in my room and I was just like looking up volunteer opportunities all over the world. And I found this random dude who was like teaching people 
or like like taking in people to teach English in these like little little schools around like in and around Kathmandu. And I like I like I sent it over, I emailed it over to my friend Bill and Jim. And I was like, dude, we should quit and do this. And we we, we just ended up doing it. Um it was pretty, so it's kind it was, of a group, a group effort of of it was yeah of wanting like to we get were out. egging each other on. Yeah. I mean it was all of us kind of egging each other on to to do it. Because the what other guys you, also were in trouble. Randomly. What did your two other buddies end up doing? Did they end up graduating and yeah? I mean, so so um there's still two of my best friends. Um Bill is Bill is a, a meteorologist like myself, but he ended up becoming a FAO, speaks Hindi, randomly speaks Hindi uh, and Pashtu. That's what he went to DLI for, which is, you know, what they speak in and around that Himalaya region. Mm-hmm. Um, he's stationed in Hawaii right now. I'm about to go there. He's sailing from Oahu to uh, Big Island with him and his wife, who we met in Nepal. And and Jim, and Jim also lives in, in Hawaii now and is the GM of Bill's condo building. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's a pretty, we've become, we're still like really good friends and we own some properties together. Jim, Jim did not go back. He was like, nope. And he, he became a carpenter in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire and mm-hmm. like started buying up properties. And, you know, as lieutenants, we have a lot of cash flow. So we just started investing in properties together. Um, which has been great. You eventually made it through the academy and then um, you made into the Air Force and you said you're a meteorologist. Um, You served, from what I saw, was seven years, right? Actually, I'm still serving. You're still serving. Yes. Yeah. So I did did five years active duty. And then I think probably you saw my LinkedIn, like Mm -hmm. there's, so I did five years active duty, a year in Monterey, getting another bachelor's uh, on the Air Force dime and then four years doing meteorology in uh in hawaii um and and then i got out and i did like two years of a lot of reserve orders Mm -hmm. but i was getting my life together uh still in hawaii so it probably looked like seven years active duty so you took a two-year break where it was like hey i need a little bit of off time from this super regulated world and then spent two years in Hawaii. Is that right? Yeah. So I, after active duty, you know, I, th- I think there's a question that was like, did you know what you were going to do when you got out? Yeah. Um, and, and maybe this like speaks to people who are, have made, or are about to make this same either mistake or, or just like, maybe it's, maybe it wasn't a mistake, but I, I did not. I, my plan was to ship my car to uh, California and become like a smoke jumper or something and live out of my van. What is a live smoke jumper? <clears throat> they're like, they're like, like a hot shots crew that, so there's hot shots crew that put out fires, okay. you know, around the country, like big forest fires. And then like the smoke jumpers are like the people who like jump out of planes into like some like field and then run to the mountains and, and like cut down trees and try to, and try to like prove it, like, like make a burn path for the forest. And What led you into um, getting an MBA and going to Rice? Yeah, out of all places yeah. being in Hawaii. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so I got out, I had hurt my back and I was like, well, I can't like do this thing. Um, I joined the reserves and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was like, and I was, and I had, I had like started living out of my minivan, like this old minivan in Hawaii mm-hmm. um, in 2009 and then all of a sudden I was unemployed living out of a minivan. And that was like, like a kind of a interesting time. Like first it was fun and then it was depressing. Yeah. Um, and I did some cool stuff during then. Like I, I, I went to Vietnam for a month with the air force. I was on and off of reserve orders and it was sweet, but I think that like there's this time and it, I, I was also working part-time at the Patagonia store mm-hmm. in Honolulu, um, just folding clothes cool. and, uh, and selling stuff. And, mm-hmm there's, there's this like creeping feeling that like, I needed to like do something else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was, and, but, I, but I was still having fun. Like I was still having a lot of fun. I was surfing a lot. I was like probably in the best shape of my life and just feeling really good. But like, I, I remember turning 30, this is like a, this is a pivotal point for mm-hmm. anyone who actually, for, for the people who are listening and, and might find themselves in this point, yeah. like 
I turned 30. I was like partying on a sailboat with a bunch of like 24 year olds. Um, cause my, cause my roommate, my old roommate was a bartender and she always had like new 24 year old, like, and that's a big age difference. People, you know? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was fun. Like, and, and, but like I looked over and there was this guy, Mike, his name mm-hmm. was Mike. And he was just like, he was 35 and he was like, he smoked and drank and like, I looked at him, I was like, dude, my life is so badass. And then I was like, yeah, but you're going to be Mike in five years. And, and, and I had like a serious, like anxiety about that for like three weeks after. And I was like, okay, I have to do something with my life because I don't want to be Mike. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, and, and like, and like, I can like, I can, I can push it up until the edge, maybe try to do something when I'm 34, but like, I'm pretty sure that's going to be too late. And maybe yeah. it would have been, maybe it would have been, right? That but lifestyle like, dwindles down quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, you know, I kind of started taking stock of what I'd done in life and what I what I liked, what I was interested in, and mm-hmm. you know, I'd bought some properties. I had, I you know, done what I did in Nepal, and I, I know that I knew that there's like a lot of people out there with a lot less than me, and. I think that the, at the time I had, I had been reading Muhammad, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that, that like kind of pushed me for the NBA, but you know, I'd read Bank of the Poor by Muhammad Yunus. And I was really interested via my real estate and like loans and financing, as well as like doing something helpful for people via previous volunteer work. Right. Mm-hmm. So I like microfinance was really interesting to me. And I was like, cool. I like, I want to like learn about this and like do something in microfinance. And then at the same time, myself and two other academy grads, this guy, Bill, and then one of our other friends, who's still in the Air Force, super smart uh, Mm -hmm. programmer type and F-35 pilot. He just programs in his off time randomly. Um, We tried to like start this like travel website um, for, for us, for me and Bill, who were like constantly going around the globe finding new surf spots or sailing or, you know, just documenting the things that we were doing. And it cra- like crashed and burned. Um, so we didn't know what we were doing. So those two things, I was like, dude, I'm interested in this. Like business as a 30, like in your thirties, like business is kind of a, kind of the new way to have adventures mm-hmm. because we don't want to die on mountains or, or whatever, right? Like we don't want to like do these other things that we did as like young men. And, and so that's what pushed me to get my MBA. My, my brother had gotten his, um, and, and, and his wife were like business people. And then I think the other thing was that I was pretty overwhelmed and I had like a, a decent amount of anxiety being like, I came out of the air force and the academy. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had never planned to have a professional career. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like need two years of school as a runway just to like explore and see what's out there. You know, I didn't know I didn't know what it took to be an investment banker. I didn't know what investment banker was. Same with like a you know consultant. Um, I didn't know any anything about this except that like I had fun trying to start a website. I enjoyed buying properties, and I, I liked Muhammad Yunus's like microfinancing philosophy. Very little little knowledge. Um, so that's what pushed me into like getting going back and getting an MBA. And and so after two years, I mean, so you were in the reserves, and and you're not you know, necessarily balling in the reserves, how did you finance to full-time MBA programs at, you know, top 25 schools? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. And um, I didn't have that much money, but I did have savings. And I thought I saw, I saw one thing on your list that that I was going to say, I didn't have that much money. I did have savings. I, 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 I'm pretty, I have a pretty cheap lifestyle even now. And I, I, I just saved, I saved so much. And, mm-hmm. and I think I, one reason why I saved so much is because I did think I was going to be a dirt bag living in a minivan yeah. when I got out of the Air Force. That was literally my plan. From so while you were active duty, Nepal, you were like stashing it away. I was stashing everything away. Like we, you know, we get like, we get like, I think, you know, in, in Monterey, we get, we got paid like 1300 for BAH when I was getting my degree. And me and yeah. this guy, Bill, like shared a room and, and, and lived in bunk beds and uh, paid like 400 bucks a month and stashed everything away. The super classic so, LT living together with a bunch of guys yeah. and, and getting a bunch of BH. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and then same thing in Hawaii, like after I bought my place, 
I was like, why am I living here? I could rent mm-hmm. it out and make money and, and, and live somewhere else. And so I ended up doing that. So like, anyways, I, I, I had saved a lot, but I didn't want to spend it. The, yeah. the, the, cool, the cool thing about the reserves in that two years is that even though like I was working on and off for the reserves and not making that much money, it gave me 50% of the GI bill, right? Okay. So like I got, out, I got out after my commitment, I had zero GI bill, but just being in the reserves for two years and the amount of orders that I had done, I, I had 50% of the GI bill. And so between that and a scholarship that I got to Rice, which is one of the main reasons I, why I ended up going to Rice, is I like I didn't have to pay too much out of pocket. Yeah. So you you went to Rice on a full time MBA. Um, did you ever consider maybe going part time, or do you have any like viewpoints as far as you know the benefits to a full time compared to a part time, or what are your thoughts on that? I do. Yeah, I have I have I have kind of a lot, and, and you know it's it's going to be opinionated. MBAs in general, for us as grads, mm-hmm. if 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 you were like me and you did not know like what you wanted to do or you don't know what you want to do and you want to, you want some runway to explore and you, you, you just know that you need to learn certain things and you don't have the discipline to sit down on your own and learn them because all that stuff's out there to learn. Right. And MBA is actually probably a pretty good choice. If you, if, you, if you like, if you know exactly what you want to do, and let's say it's finance or consulting or something else, like, or being an entrepreneur or whatever, and you feel pretty set up or, or you're, you're more disciplined and structured than I am, an MBA may not be the right route. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it does feel like the right route for a lot of us. It maybe is, but like, it's, it's not the end all be all. And it's a very generalist thing. And knowing what I know now, like, looking back on it i think i still would go i would still do a full-time um but there would be specific skills that i would really try to glean out full-time versus part-time you know i think that depends on if you have a if you have a family right and you need to and you need to make money while you're getting your mba and you don't mind just like putting a lot of your life on hold for two years, which is mm-hmm. what you have to do when you get that part-time MBA because they're, they're very, they're still very like rigorous. Mm-hmm. Then I think part-time is great, right? You get a lot of the stuff that goes along with the full-time, which is like the knowledge, the network, the understanding about what else is out there. I, I think you get a lot of the benefits. And one of the like super opinionated thought that people can brush off, but if you graduate from your, MBA program and you don't know what dis, you know how to do or how, you don't know the concept of like a discounted cash flow analysis um, any sort of financial analysis how to look at a balance sheet mm-hmm. and, and 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 these like you know these finance statements that come out of companies pretty fundamental like, try, business thing yeah yeah exactly these then, then you don't have an MBA and mm-hmm. like that's really harsh but it's true. Like, it's just, it's just true. Yeah. Right. You can't, you can't, you can't run a business or help run a business. if You don't know how money flows to your company. While you were at Rice, you said that it was pretty rigorous. So say if you did have a family or, you know, some people might be in that position, what does, is it so rigorous that you can't get a job outside of it? Or do people have side hustles? Like how demanding is it compared, comparatively speaking? Yeah. Um, well, so we've all went to the academy, so we can use that as a benchmark, right? Mm-hmm. I thought it was tougher than the academy. I applied myself more in MBA academically than I did at the academy. MBA for me was so much harder. It was so much more competitive. And I applied myself more because the concepts were like, so they're, they're so concrete. I was like, oh, cool. This is how, this, this is like what I need to know to like run a business or mm-hmm. to, to help run a business or to be, to make business decisions. Um, and so I think that I was just like way more interested in it, which ended up making me apply hard myself, which ended up being harder. The only people who could really take this and maybe be helpful is people who think like me, but like at the academy, I was like, cool, I'm going to get out, I'm going to get a job, like get whatever the Air Force gives me and I'm going to get out in, in five years, right? So like I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't have too much reason to care about my academics, but an MBA, from the first day, your academic your academic success is dictating literally like parts of the rest of your life. 
And mm-hmm. I can I can break that down if you'd like if you think that'd be valuable. Yeah. Do grades necessarily matter in your MBA program? Yeah, unless you go to like one of the top five. So so Harvard, I think Harvard, Wharton, Stanford, and maybe like Columbia or Stern, some some of these other ones, those schools like they don't really allow you, they don't allow companies that are interviewing you to ask for your grades applying for internships and jobs that's that's not a factor for 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 anyone you know for anyone at like other like good decent programs like rice you know grades do matter a lot and and so you know you you get you show up you probably don't have as much understanding about how this stuff works as all of your other peers right Mm -hmm. Um, some of your peers have been accountants or or already worked in private equity or or finance or whatever so like you're taking all these classes you're trying to play catch up you're trying to figure out how this interview process works and you're competing against all of your other classmates as well as you know other business schools for for these interviews and you start you literally start networking for those if you, you start in august you start networking for those in october and interviews start in early january oh wow so so it's so, so like and the core classes that we took was like accounting mm-hmm. corporate finance you know a marketing class you know some some pretty heavy classes and mm-hmm. and so the only thing that those companies have to look at are your gmat scores and and your grades right and mm-hmm. and, and they want them to be all a's to be if you if you want to be a consultant for like deloitte or bain or if you want to be an investment banker or private equity or something like you have to be like crushing your your grades after your internship you, you know you either get a return offer or you're trying to apply for a full-time gig after that and so all of those grades still matter like your gpa still matters a lot uh, coming out of mba would it be fair to say that you kind of felt behind the learning curve as far as when you were there i totally i totally did and, and some of that was of my own doing, right? So there's there's a group of people from the academy who like, this is probably not going to apply to, but there's a, I think there's also a larger group that will, which is like people who didn't apply themselves, people who didn't take opportunities, like I did not take opportunities to like develop themselves professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they show up on the outside world being like, shoot, I like kind of missed five years of at least trying to learn something about <laughs> professional, about, about being a professional. Yeah. And yeah, so like I was definitely behind the power curve. I feel like I'm actually just getting up to speed. Um, and you've been out of your MBA for how, how long now? Seven years. Yeah. So it, there's a lot to learn <laughs> and it's not, it's not necessarily there's overnight a- that you're going to learn it. Yeah, there's a lot to learn. I would just kind of like foot stomp highlight whatever that point, which is you're going to, a lot of our peers and, you know, fellow grads or whatever may seem like it's really easy, but I think that like that's a loud minority. And I think for a lot of us, it does take a decent amount of time to an effort to like build a roadmap for the rest of your life. That's with like the necessary stepping stones to, to make it to where you want to, to where you want to go knowing what you just said, that we're already starting behind the learning curve entering it. Is there any advice that you would have as far as trying to get ahead of that curve and, and things to look out for? Or is it one of those things that you just kind of roll with the punches and learn as you go? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think that what we do have, you know, as a collective group of people coming out of the academy is like, the determination to like, go after what we want, hopefully, right? And stick mm-hmm. with it, even though it's really hard. Yeah, I mean, like, so if you don't do prep work, you have to just, you have to just buckle down and just say, I'm going to invest in myself very heavily and try to be like, as little says, like, not stressed out as possible until I feel like I've caught up, right? Which is what I did. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying I did a great job managing it. In fact, I think that I didn't do a great job managing it overall in, in, in some ways, but like, I, but I still feel like, you know, I, I buckled down and learned it. I, I think that one mistake that I, that I made was, you know, I was leaving this like great life in Hawaii to move back to Houston. And I was like, I'm going to surf every day this summer. That's my goal before starting NBA. I'm going to surf every day this summer, which like, I mean, I'm not necessarily going to like regret that because it was really fun. And like, like I got to like see all my friends. I get to just like, yeah, like live this lifestyle a little bit longer that I know that I'm going to leave. And I, I, I don't want to like think, to myself, man, I should have like really appreciated this while I 
while I had it, right? So, yeah. I mean, I, I think I understand why I did it, but like, this is just like me, it's still me being behind the power curve. Like, I, I should have realized, I should have done the necessary research to realize what I was going to come up against. Mm-hmm. when I, when I hit the ground, like not running, um, at NBA. And so like my, my advice would be, you know, again, you have to like close out seasons of your life to be ready for the next season. So do what you need to do. But at the same time, part of being ready for the next season is like knowing what to expect and, mm-hmm. and, and being able to, to, to hit, hit the ground running if you can. And so like spending a little bit of extra cash to to take some finance classes or like do whatever you need to do know some basic finance concepts and like what balance balance sheet cash flow and income statement are like and learning a little bit about discount mm-hmm. cash flow analysis like i think those i think those things would have gone a long way for me in addition to like getting on linkedin and I actually tried to do this, but I didn't know types of people to talk to. So I talked to mostly like kind of like entrepreneurs or whatever, just doing some research on these, on these three or maybe on these four different career fields, investment bankers, consultants, marketers, and corporate finance, like just, just those. And, and maybe trying to talk to some people and like getting an understanding in, of, of what they do. And maybe someone who's in, who's in like, you know, people operations usually used to be known as HR, but like those, those areas getting like a broad understanding of what those are and what in the types of things you'll need to be able to do and to, to get jobs there Mm -hmm. will be, it'll just be way less overwhelming. Cause I, I just showed up just not like, like trying to understand like what everything was and I, while, while trying to learn. Right. right. So that would be for people like me. I wish someone would have told me that for sure. Yeah. So being at Rice, uh, being in Houston, Texas, uh, I, I would imagine my assumption is that there is a lot of military personnel. Um, what did their uh, MBA veteran program look like? And did that have a say of, of you getting into the school? And yeah, yeah explain so- a little bit about their veterans uh, at Rice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm from Houston. So yeah, lots of vets in Houston. Rice itself is super good with military. I'll just like put some plugs in with rice, like, like at least while I was there. And then, and then after, I don't know how it is now, but like their goal was to be the most military friendly, like, you know, top 20 MBA program in the country. So they were giving, they, they gave it lots of scholarships. They did a lot of stuff to help the vets out. So plug for rice, like, look into that school um, how many how many veterans or people affiliated with the military were say in your class like percentage wise between seven and ten and that's about what you're going to get like you don't want a bunch like we don't like we don't want a bunch of vets right because we yeah. want to like we want to know what other people's experiences was like but it's like i think like seven to ten is probably pretty pretty good and then one other thing, so yeah, so like, so like rice was good for vets and I would say look into rice, but at the same time, there's, there's a few things that I always ask people like in that, fa- in that Academy Facebook group, I'll ask like, if they're like, ask MBA programs, like don't just go to rice because they're good with vets, right? Go to rice because it's going to help you do what you want to do afterwards. And so it's like five, five, five critical questions. With, let me see if I can remember. So what industry do you want to be in? What job role do you want? What area of the company or of the country do you want to be in? If you have answers to those three, it'll also help other people give you advice and recommend programs to you. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the fourth, the fourth was, what do you care about? Right. So like, mm-hmm. what, like what sort of issues do you care about? Cause like you could, you could be like, I want to work in the energy sector as a finance person in Texas, but like, if you care about sustainability, then like you may not want to go to Rice or University of Houston because they're all oil companies, right? Not to say mm-hmm. oil companies aren't sustainable, but like maybe like maybe that's maybe you're going to want to work for like a solar company, right? Mm-hmm. So like I, I think I think that like what what sort of things do you really care about and like driving change in the world is also like another big question because yeah. every MBA program is like very very different in that regard. So how do these, um, when you're at Rice, so you're coming from, I'm just going to use an example. You're coming from a military background and you go to Rice coming from Hawaii as a meteorologist. How do you 
find out that say you want to be a finance guy in the solar sector? Are, are there opportunities and experiences at while at Rice and at different MBA programs where you can kind of get a feel for different industries? Because, you know, you're learning all these things. And I feel like, you know, how do you how do people have these epiphanies that that's what I want to get into? Is it mostly compensation driven? Or um, do you have any insight into that? Yeah, uh, let me think. So I think, I think that like there's, you get very wrapped up into the, as a full-timer, at least you get very wrapped up into like some sort of like status in the same way, in the same way you do it at the academy. Like you can mm-hmm. be like, what do you want to do? What are you trying to do? Or do you play sport? Right. Like there, there is like that element. Right. The NBA, cause you're a bunch of like type A, like with douchebag qualities, right. Yeah. Not necessarily douchebags full, but, but we all have them. And, and so like ego you get into this, like, what do you want to do? Yeah. There's a decent amount of ego going out. And then so, and so like, there's that, it's like, dude, are you, everyone like, like I bankers is like this like fighter jock mentality. Right. <laughs> right. Or like, so, so like, it's like there is this thing, um, but then there's compensation driven as well. And then it's like, what are you, what are you good at and what are you passionate about? Um, so I think all those things kind of wrap, I think all those things like kind of wrap up, I can tell you my, like, like my story, um, or how I ended up like coming out corporate finance. Um, if that, if you think that would be helpful. Yeah, I do. So, so after your time at Rice, you got a job at Hewitt Packard, right? Um, and and where was that location? What was your role at that company? And, and how did you get hired there? Yeah. Um, and this is where I'm just going to like throw out some like maybe embarrassing stuff, but I, but it will be helpful for people who like, it'll be helpful for other, for, for people who might have a similar experience. And so, so they don't feel like too bad about it. Like, mm-hmm. so I went in, I wanted to do something cool. Right. I wanted to like start a website or do microfinancing, like something like that. Right. I, I quickly right. like realized the realities of like, uh, of like that, not being a thing that me personally, I, I could quickly do. At least that's mm-hmm. how I felt. Right. I, I, I still wanted to create like amazing experiences and, 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 and like provide like really valuable services to people. But the first thing that I really realized and I've dropped, you know, I've talked about finance a lot. I'm not a crazy finance person, mm-hmm. but I quickly realized like that was the thing that if you don't know, or someone at your company doesn't know, mm-hmm. you will not be able to succeed as a business. And that's what from military, from the military world, that's our biggest, that's our, that's our biggest lacking, right? Because we can do anything because we have an infinite budget and no right. one ever thinks about it. In fact, like, I don't know if, you, if, you know, people's experience is the same, but every squadron I've ever been in, the person that does the budgeting or quote, the resource advisor mm-hmm. is like, it, like no one wants that job, right? Like yeah. No one who does budgeting and finance in the military, like they, sometimes they put like the dumbest or like the, <laughs> the, the least competent person or right. Like it's, right, it's, right, it's, right. A, it's a shaft. But like in the in the business world, they, it's the, the most smartest people. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, right. It's, it's the smartest. And I was, I was I was like, dang, like I need to learn this shit. And so one thing is, dude, if, you know, if you really want to get out, if you know you want to get out, mm-hmm. become a resource advisor. Like start like do the budgeting for your squadron. Yeah. And 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 take some finance classes and put everything into it because it'll it'll serve you so well down the road. Um, that's one thing that I wish I would have done. Um, so it's just like a, a little nugget, but anyways, I was like, I have to learn finance. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I'm only going to, I'm only going to go for corporate finance gigs. I'm not smart enough. And I, you know, I don't, I don't want, and I just like don't resonate with like the jock mentality of, of I banking. And I, I just don't think I could get that job anyways. So anyways, mm-hmm. I, I did a corporate, I, I struggled to find an internship. I, didn't, I was one of the last people in my class to find an internship um i got an internship with conoco phillips uh-huh. in the oil industry um it was really good i learned a lot i learned a lot about excel and a lot about financial modeling i modeled out a bunch of oil different oil plays over the summer um i also realized that like again i was just like I, it was like a reality hit like i just like professionally in many ways just wasn't up to standards um, I didn't get a return offer. Like they liked me that I was a great person, um, but like I didn't get a return offer. And I was like, I was like bummed, like it hurt bad. Yeah. Um, and you know, like that's a little bit embarrassing to say on a podcast, but like, 
I would just say that, you know, it's going to happen to some people and you, you just mourn it. You grieve it. Like I grieved it. I was like, man, I'm a total piece of shit, but I wasn't <laughs> yeah. right. Like that, but that's, that's how I felt. And, 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 I, and, and so I, I kind of was like, okay, well, what, what do I do next? Like how, after that failure perceive or perceived failure, a lot of people don't get return offers, but people don't like to talk about it publicly. It's mm-hmm. like, you don't, it doesn't feel good. Um, and so I just like dove deeper um, but like I doubled down, I took, I t- everyone was, everyone was like taking like less classes and I was taking more and I, mm-hmm. and I, and I wanted to work more. So I took a, like a, con- I took a job consulting, uh, for like the sustainability arm of waste management, like doing, doing like analysis for them. And I was just like doubling down on my During your second skills. year of school. During, yeah. During, yeah. It was free unpaid. And, and I was just like, you know, so, so, I mean, at that point I was kind of like a part-time MBA and I was like, I just have to like continue to work mm-hmm. hard. Um, and so I think at the same time, that is what, what you just said. That's the biggest quality about, you know, service Academy people in general is just there, you know, they might not be quite up to par some people are and a lot are, but, um, just that, like go through it, you know, just to the willingness yeah. to, per, you know, persevere. Yeah, exactly. And I was just like, and I, I think that there's this thing like, and again, like, you know, I guess I'll throw, I mean, people, someone, if this resonates with people there, if they're free to like reach out to me on LinkedIn or whatever, but like, I I had like gone on these like amazing, amazing adventures. Like I had like prepped myself for a life of adventure and like, and but like stuck it out at the Academy as like this backup plan. Everyone told me I'd be set for life with getting jobs and shit. To, if like, if I had the Academy named me, right. And that mm-hmm. just like, wasn't true. And so I think there's this, this thing like, dude, like I, I could have, I could have like done so much more with my, with my life up to now and still come and like, and like try to make up for it. Right. Yeah. And like, there's like a, this, like a little bit of just like, but, but there's this also thing, which is, I think we all share anyone, even people who stay in 20 years in the, in, in the air force, like well, we dream of the moment that we get out Since <laughs> yeah. we were 17, 18 or 19. Like we're like, when I get out, right. Like when freshman, I get out, like, freshman like, at the Academy like, are saying that stuff. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. So like, so like there's like this like extreme passion inside of all of us. And I, I just like to, I was just hanging out with a, a, a friend, an O4 grad who I went through like global engagement with. He's a really good dude. He's 17 pilot. And, you know, he's still thinking, he's still talking when I get out and I'm still being <laughs> like, man, I wish sometimes I wish I would have stayed in. Everybody. Right. And so like, and so like that, like that quote drives us and it drove me. I was like, I was like, F it, man. Like I am going to continue to double down because I've been waiting my entire life to yeah. do this thing. It's like your life's right? on I'm pause. I'm like not going to, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that we all have that like ability to like have that drive, that fire that like Michael Jordan, he's like, I took it personally. Right. Like, yeah. like, Dude, when I get out, right. Like, like I, so I'm going to be, I'm going to do it big. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, I also did not get a, a, I did not get a full-time offer from waste management. I kind of knew that I wouldn't because it was free. And like, I, I like I, I knew, but like, I was a little bit just like, dude, like, what am I going to do? And, and I had decided for my second year that I was only going to focus on improving my skills analytically, financially, like finance wise, mm-hmm. business wise and knowledge and both in school and in this internship. And I wasn't going to apply for any, any jobs until I graduated and not stress out about that. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to focus on, on like being as awesome as possible when it comes to business. And um, I personally think that was a good plan, but, it, it, but at the same time, I graduated with no job and I really wanted to live in California. And my, my, my uh, girlfriend at the time and I like just jumped in my car, we packed up and we spent the summer like living literally out of our car while I was applying to jobs and like working reserve orders yeah. and working as a financial consultant to a, like a clean tech startup in Sacramento. For um, free? No, barely, barely making any money. I mean, just basically just continuing to like, like basically build out their financial plan, do the, do some, do some financial analysis for them and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and and then I got and I, applying for finance jobs. I ended up getting a finance job for HP, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. back in Houston. So we like, we didn't want to live in Houston. We wanted to live in California so we could surf. Yeah. So we moved back to Houston, worked two and a half years finance in Houston uh, for HP. It was a really good experience. Mm-hmm. Um, my boss at the time is now the CFO for HP. Um, we all like, 
like three weeks after I started there, HP announced that they were going to split in half. It was like the, the, I think it was the largest like split of a company in US history or something like that. It was it split into, so HP split into its enterprise business and like its personal computers and, and business and printers businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I did the whole like split of those companies and they like, I, I volunteered to do it. So I was just like, this is again, just like doubling down. Like I was like, this, this will help. This is, this is the thing that's going to make me awesome at my mm-hmm. job. And it wasn't, but it was like, it was a thing that made me good. And it was also a thing that like gave me some really awesome experience um, doing super large, complex, financially, you know, you can't make mistakes type of project. Right. Um, So yeah, so that's, that's, that's the the first job out of MBA. What was the culture like? Is it very MBA um, suit and tie type atmosphere or, you know, nine to five type job or soul crushing or what would you explain that? Yeah. HP is a great company. Culturally across the board, I think that it's like, it's, it's good. It, every single organization within a company that big, it's like a company of their own. So it's hard to say, it's hard to blanket what it's like. The finance org there is like probably like a finance org anywhere else. It's like more serious. You wear, you don't wear like a tie, but you are a suit every day, but you do wear like nicer clothes than like, let's say the engineers or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and the designers. So, but like culturally it's great. You know, like they're, they're really into developing people and, um, at the same time, if it's not the right job, any job that's not the right job for you and any organization that's not the right organization for you mm-hmm. is going to be soul crushing, right? Yeah. And and so it was like soul crushing for me. Um, but but it was not soul crushing for my peers. Um, and, it's, and even though even though it was soul crushing, it was not a bad decision. It just was a really tough time for me. And I and I realized like again, I could work. 12 hours a day or more, or like, you know, whatever, 78 hour weeks for the rest of my life doing corporate finance, but I would almost always be a mediocre corporate finance person. And And at the same time, there's all, there's always that feeling just like you were talking about of like, when you can get out, I feel like people get into these corporate jobs and they're like, there's gotta be something more out there. Yeah, Um, exactly. And, and, and at that time I did a few things that were like very valuable that I would encourage other people to do if if they're, if they're like getting to that point you're talking about. I hired, hired an executive coach mm -hmm. um, to like help me think through how I could get better because you know, I was, I was, I was, I was working directly for the controller of HP and, and above her was the CFO. Right. So like, as someone whose desire was to live out of a van and be a, do it, be a dirt bag. Like, it's just like, it's just like never, it's like those, like I did not train myself to talk to those people. In fact, like I had like trained myself to never want to talk to those types of people. Mm-hmm. And so like, I had to like retrain myself uh, and I just invested in it. I was like, cool, I'm going to throw money at it. Um, and it was really helpful for me to, to do that. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, so yeah, anyway, yeah, so that was, that's kind of where I, that's kind of where I was and it was pretty soul sucking, but what I, what I knew, like going back to what I was telling you earlier, like what I knew is that like when I went to get my MBA, like I wanted to do cool stuff and I wanted to like, I wanted to provide valuable and exciting kind of like cool products and services to people. And so like, and, and the reason why I did finance, this is what this person helped me with as, oh, I, so I, I also hired, I also hired like just like, just like counselor because mm-hmm. I was so stressed out right like I think most people in some point in their life probably need that so, so so I work with like two people that like really helped me like think through my thoughts at that at this point again like mental health is so important and then also you know having someone help you like navigate professional life mm-hmm. if unless you're just one of those people and we all know them especially coming from the academy there are some people who just like they're, they're, they're just like, always crushing it right yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly but if you're not if you're a normal person like you can turn, you can try your hardest to be a stud and you shouldn't feel bad about needing guidance to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so plug for that. Um, again, like I'm trying to talk publicly about stuff that maybe other people wouldn't, but, but everyone has those feelings of like they experience those like, no doubt, no doubt and stress and, 
and it's hard, man. Like it's hard. Um, so yeah, so I, I, both those people and what I was reminded of by both the coach and the counselor was like, you, you like did something that most people don't, which is like you identified a weakness and you went like full bore into getting that weakness, like, you know, stronger, but you also need to remember that you didn't, you don't want to be a badass finance person. You just want to know it enough to like run a business or to make good choices Mm -hmm. in in, in another role in a business. And so getting that, like those reminders and, and help me like kind of pull my head out of like, or like it helped me like, like pull myself out of looking at like the tree and like, look at the forest using the cliche. Right. Mm-hmm. And be like, okay, cool. What's my next step. I do feel really good about my, my skills here. I, I am actually very competent running finance and making good financial choices. And I, I know how to run huge projects. Right. And so, and like, now it's time for you to do like the fun part of getting your MBA, which is finding a job that you really like for a company that you'll really fit in at. And, and, and that's when, like, I started looking for other jobs in other functions, um, to bring the skills that I have that, that I, that I've created to, to, to something that would like fulfill me in a more like passionate way. And that's what led you into Surfline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was like, that's like the next step. And so how um, did, did you seek them out or um, did they seek you out or how did that process go about? Had you heard about them before? And because um, Surfline, I believe what I read, they've been around for about 35 years. So they're not necessarily yeah. a new company. Um, no, they're not. I, I definitely sought them out. Um, and yeah, I, I, I definitely sought them out. I, uh, so when I decided that I wanted to take like the next step in my professional journey. I was like, cool. Like there's three things that I want. I may not get them all, but I want at least one of these three and hopefully um, at least a location change, but it was a location change. It was a location change. It was a promotion or Mm -hmm. it was a lateral function change. And Mm -hmm. I didn't care which one of those was. I think location, I really wanted to be somewhere where I could surf a lot. But like those others, you're just like, it's really hard to get all of those in one go, right? So like, let's just be happy with like one or two of those. Mm-hmm. And so I, I spent, you know, six months, you know, in addition to my job, you know, going to like a coffee shop after work and over the weekends, applying to a bunch of different jobs. I ended up getting two jobs out in California. Mm-hmm. Like one was a promotion in the finance realm to like a tech company in, L- in LA. Mm-hmm that was like a, a significant salary increase. And the other was a surfline gig. Surfline gig was a pay decrease, but it was everything else that I wanted. And like, there's just like no hesitancy in my mind about what I wanted to do. I was like, get, I get to learn how to make, you know, really awesome consumer products for something that I'm passionate about. Yeah. And, and like the learning opportunities there are immense and so i just so i just took it and while the job search was hard the effort that i put into it was like rewarded uh, you know many 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 so so what does surfline do as a company and uh what is your role there yeah so surfline has been around for 35 years and we provide surf reports and forecasts for surfers all over the world um in, including over you know 700 surf cams for people to look at in the morning to see if they want to go right so like, you know if you're a surfer especially in southern california or australia or hawaii or some of these you know big other locations where you surf every day one of the first first things you probably do every morning is look at look at surfline either mm-hmm. on your computer or your or your phone i'm a product manager there uh, at first, I was a PM for all of our native apps, and now I am the subscription growth product manager. So, kind of going back to like the business revenue side, you know, really pushing our subscription business to make sure that we bring all the right value to to our users, so they have such a good experience, they want to use us more and 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 buy a subscription. Interesting. 
That's cool. So what does, uh, so working for Surfline, what can you briefly describe? What does the best day in the life look like? You know, what, what does an awesome day look like? And then what does a more stressful uh, day look like? Um, just a day in the life. Yeah. So I'll go with the most stressful first. Um, I mean, I think, you know, software always has bugs. Uh, software always has like, it's so complex. So, so mm-hmm. software always has bugs. There's always something needing to be fixed. There's always something that because things are so complex, you, you, you like you missed a requirement or whatever. Right. Uh-huh. And so as you're building, you have to like fix things as well as like do some last minute stuff. You do, the goal though is to plan so good that you don't have bugs and you don't have like what we'd call an edge case that you didn't plan for when you're when you're building it. Um, mm-hmm. And so like a very stressful day would be lots of bugs, lots of unthought through like user flows that that create like bad experiences that you have to like fix last minute mm-hmm. while needing to plan ahead so that those things don't occur in the next thing that you're trying to do. Yeah. So as a product manager, are you working with, is a lot of this uh, teamwork or is it a lot of it, hey, what David can do, he does. And how is the work disseminated across um, your role? It, as a PM, like our main job is to like manage stakeholders, prioritize things that are the best for our users and for the business, Right. Uh, and, but then it's also to like create experiences. So I'd say a lot of my job is working with teams. Uh, one, one group of people are, you work with is stakeholders. So like execs from other, you know, functions um, to make sure that like what you're creating, they're aware of and they have their inputs and you get their requirements so that you, so that like you, you do build the right thing uh, for the company and for the users. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then but then like you're also working with a team that's creating the experience or you know birthing the experience which is the designers uh, making sure that like they have the vision of what's best for the user uh, end user and then and then also working with the tech team of engineers to plan it out and then build it mm-hmm. and then depending on the size of your company you're doing a lot of other stuff like there's like testing you know like if you're at a small company the other big part of a PM's job is just to do whatever necessary to, to, to ship really good products. So that's like testing the product. So you're like, you could be a QA resource. You could be, you know, a person that may like, that like does random stuff in all of your like content management systems or, you know, shipping, you know, submitting the apps on the app store or whatever it is, like mm-hmm. whatever it is to, to like take the load off of your engineers and designers so that they can continue to build, uh, just like running blocker on a lot of that stuff is, is like the other part of, of the role. And I enjoy that. I mean, like I enjoy the small team kind of hustle scrappy aspect of it, but at the same time that that's not for everyone. Gotcha. And so does your, is that a day in day out? type of deal that you um, constantly do or do your days fluctuate from managing different things? Um, and, and what does, yeah. what does an awesome day look like going into Surfline? I mean, are you, yeah. you know, swimming with your teammates in the morning or in the afternoon or whatever? Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just yeah. kind of what comes to my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so one other thing I was going to say that I forgot to say, it's a huge part of, of being a PM is analysis, like data analysis and understanding, looking at data to make good decisions and, and really inform decisions about what is the best thing, like to validate your hypothesis about what it is the best thing for your users. Uh-huh. Um, and then, it, you know, daily, you know, day in, day out, a lot of my days are, are the same, you know, just juggling and, and, and trying to be productive and pushing out, you know, things that, things that pushing out product to users, but then also getting, getting analysis and, and like documentation for, for the biggest things that are going to move the needle the most in terms of experience and from the business point of view, yeah. um, for, from an, you know, from a, the most awesome days, I mean, I, I, I love launching a product 
I love it. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of these things you, you've been thinking about for a long time and users probably have too, and you get to, you get to like take them from inception to hitting a button that sends them, sends one of these software products out to like immediately out to, you know, hundreds of thousands of users and mm-hmm. hopefully they enjoy it. Um, so I really, really, really like that. Um, it's exciting and it's rewarding if, if the experience is good. Um, and then, so like any sort of launch day is kind of, is pretty fun to celebrate with people, you know, before COVID, those were always even more fun, um, than celebrating by yourself in the living room or like on a zoom, like a yeah. call with people is it, Surf, Surfline is a, it's a tech company. So I don't want to paint this picture that we're always going out surfing and stuff, but like, but like a lot of us do surf. We, it's a great company. Um, as long as you're getting your stuff done, they don't care if you're taking surf breaks in the middle of the day. And we all understand that it's not just like some, like, it's not like you're going to have a beer with a buddy. Like it's, it's something that you feel like you have to do. It's exercise. It keeps you healthy. It keeps you sane. Right. Yeah. So we all understand that. Um, so, so like, I mean, some of the best days that we've, that, that I feel like I've had at work, there's two, there's two of them. We had, we used to have a quarterly surf off, which is really fun. Like on weight, on like film boards. Oh, cool. Where we'd like either like dress up in costumes and like surf together and <laughs> someone would judge. And, and those would always be really, really, really fun. But then there's like other days where like, like a quiet Friday. Mm-hmm. And there's not that many people in the office and we look out across the street at the waves and they're like really good. And then we're like, dude, let's go surf. And there'll be like seven of us in the water and like the sunshine. That's pretty cool. Um, out at Huntington beach pier, just like, you know, surf during, you know, for a few hours together. And there's like seven of us in the water like that. That's a, those are like really, really, really good days um, as well. And those are the days that you remember because it, 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 encapsulates the entire experience but like you obviously remember you know it's very easy to remember surfing with seven people that you like and care about during a work day yeah that's pretty cool so i assume that your office is right up on the beach in huntington beach yeah it's like right across the street from the pier oh cool and so are you all do you all have locations across the world or across the u.s or we have huntington beach Outer Banks, the UK, and Australia. Those are like our main offices. But then, like we're we're all pretty full, pretty much fully remote right now. Okay. What is what is something that an employee could bring into Surfline that would add benefit to the company? I would say an intense desire to learn and improve. And, I, and that sounds cliche, but like you, when you're at a smaller tech company trying to build stuff, nothing is like nothing is out of the box. And so, and, and tech is always changing, right? So like, we're always writing in new code in new languages. We're always trying to push the bounds of what we knew. And so like, whether or not you're a PM, a designer or an engineer or a marketer, you're always having to learn new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not like academically learned. It's like, how do you take this thing and apply it so that it works um, and so that it's good for users or how do you take this thing and apply it and so we can get more information to validate hypothesis or whatever right so yeah. those 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 would be the those would be the like the biggest things and we value that a lot at surfline i'm guessing that at other comp- similar companies like those are like very highly valued um you know, traits in a, in a person as far as hard skills, you know, being able to, depends on your role, but like, you know, as a PM specifically, you know, being able to communicate really well, mm-hmm. being able to understanding, you know, the, the agile scrum kind of software development process, being able to use Excel to do analysis, some understand, like you don't have to know SQL, but understanding about how data models work and about how like these super large databases work so that you can understand the types of data how, how we collect data and, and, and how and how you can like use that data would be very important mm-hmm. um, I think that like some understanding of 
some understanding about how like how how users life cycles go with with software you know like you download an app you download an app or you open the website you create an account you become a member right like those or you you form habits like that that sort of stuff it's all like there's all there's a lot of stuff on the internet about it so like Mm -hmm. there's like self-learning that if you're really interested in you can do and it's it's pretty valuable and and it'll just if you're trying to break in as a pm the Mm -hmm. more you've kind of like self-studied that stuff and understand the concepts i think the i think the more likely it is that an employer will take a chance in hiring you and 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 teach you more on their dollar right because that's really like going back to it like if you're trying to break in coming out of the military like a lot of times what you're trying to prove is like hey i'm competent i'm decently smart and i'm willing to learn and i can do this stuff right and 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 so like the more you can kind of prove to them that you're taking the steps and that you're passionate about it and that you're willing to put in the work, the, the more that you're going to get that one special chance. And like, for me, you know, I'm, I feel like, you know, getting that job at Surfline was like one of the best things that's ever happened to me because I got to learn so much and same with the, the finance job, right? They're all like, yeah, mm-hmm. this person seems like they're going to work really hard and, and learn a lot and, and that they can do the job. Um, and yeah, I, I guess that's it. And I would just say that one other thing is like, when when I got hired in all of these jobs, I felt an intense responsibility to like back that up, right? Yeah. Uh, work really hard, not only for me. Proving your work. Other, yeah, and, and for other vets, they may hire in the future, right? Yeah. Like, because like, you know, we're like in our late 20s or 30s when we're coming into these roles and we have this like, kind of experience but we're at the same time we're kind of like entry level right so Mm -hmm. it's a big gamble that they take on us and we want them to continue to hire other vets whether academy grads or prior enlisted or whatever right so like it's a pretty i always kind of felt like it's a pretty big responsibility to come in when an employer wants to take a take a chance on a vet yeah i agree and i think in general not not always but i think in general um people vets thrive off of that. So I, I think there is a certain amount of pride that people take not only being veterans and from the military, but also, um, you know, being from a service academy um, and, and kind of proving up to that name. Now that doesn't always happen, but I would say for the most part, um, it does. So yeah, I think I think so as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, all right. So I want to segment into a thing that I want to try out and it's going to be called the lightning round. And so I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind questions and you answer them in either, you know, one word or a sentence. So I, I had one other thing before we go into that, there's one okay. other thing that's like a concept that I wanted to like throw out there. Sure. Um, I remember being very overwhelmed when getting out of the military, like looking at jobs that I wanted and being like, dude, there's no way I could get this job. Mm-hmm. And, and for anyone who's like doing that same thing, just tack on right now to the end of that sentence, right? It's like, there's no way I can get this job right now. And, and I think that if you do that, you'll be able to be like, okay, cool. Like, when can I, like, like, could I get it in five years? Could I get it in 10 years? Mm-hmm. And then you, the follow-up question to that is like, what do I need to do to get this job in five or 10 years? And those are, and then, and then like your plan for the future will be way less overwhelming. It'll seem like maybe like tiring and exhausting and long, Mm-hmm. but it'll be more realistic. And I think it'll just like over, overall, like be way healthier for you. Cause then you can like piece together a trajectory to get to where you want to go and make, make like a realistic goal. And I would, I would hope that you do that before you make the decision to get out of the air force, because you might be like, okay, well, like maybe I just want to stick in, stick around and get my pension or whatever. Yeah. So that like, yeah. So that, that's like the one other thing that I think for people like me may be valuable. Okay. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Awesome. Um, cool. Let's do lightning round. Let's do lightning round. Okay. So I'm just going to fire them off and then whatever comes to your head, feel free to go for it. So first question is, I would change this about the service academies. Shut them down. In a different world, I would have been a. I don't know. 
what I am now. <laughs> well, what did you do with your cadet loan? Saved it and used it as a down payment. The most valuable thing you took away from the military was? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Maybe not, um... That might be the best answer. <laughs> I, was gonna... yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. The best company to work for besides Surfline is? Out of, out of the military or MBA is a big company that will teach you skills that you can have for the rest of your life. What is the best location to surf besides your home surfing ground? Ooh, Chile. Chile. Fast, neat, average. Friendly, good, good. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you, David, for cool. uh, coming on and sharing your experiences with everybody. So um, if, if people want to reach out to you, can they, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, I would, I would or say. Or do you even prefer to people reach out to you? Yeah. I, so definitely like if, if like, if this resonated hundred percent reach out, um, I would also, if this resonated, reach out over LinkedIn because chances are you don't have a LinkedIn profile or a good one. Mm -hmm. And that's where I would want to start asking you questions for your, for your future. Awesome. Thank you all for listening to the five and dive podcast. If you liked it, go on Instagram and follow at the five and dive pod, go on to Spotify and make sure to follow at the five and dive podcast and tune in next Monday for the next guest. <laughs>